0: Today is Wednesday, June 19th and this is Rev Thoughts. Snackable conversations between Tim Thompson and myself, Joel Pilger. Our topic today is reactive versus proactive. Proactive versus reactive. This is the thing we're going to talk about today because you were just telling me this story and it inspired this really interesting question that making the move from being reactive to proactive, is there a method? So what's the what's the story? What's the context to help People understand why we're diving into this.
1: Yeah, sure. um, Jason and I actually had a conversation with a client um, this morning, I think it was. And it's an existing client. We've had them for a few years now. I guess in a way, what what had happened is that they had changed their production method in a very slow pattern. But um, the process that we have done, the routines and the process we've done over the last few years to track their production, their costs... Um, give them advice, You know, capture things proactively, had kind of slipped. And uh, Jason was telling me before the conversation this morning that he has spent a lot of time in the last few months chasing people down to get the information. And as soon as he said those words, in my mind it triggered like, whoa, we're being reactionary. Because if huh. we have to go track people down – to find out something they had already finished we're, we're no longer at the on the front end of this conversation we're at the back end just keeping score and that score keeping method after the decision have been made is a horrible position to be in you're not determining anything about your future you're not directing your company or the projects in any way you're just scooping things up and, and a classic uh,
0: Oh, and a classic example I'm thinking of is the P and L, right? Where you, where the owner gets the P and L, and they think, "Oh, I'm supposed to make decisions to run my company, but it's all reactive, back backwards looking information."
1: Yeah, exactly. Like a, a traditional bookkeeper will will download the transactions after they're done and tell you if you were profitable or not. Um, and, and a past tense, and what we're trying to do, in our and our idea of the roll up in our meetings is find out if you're going to be profitable when you finish the project, and making sure you're profitable before you get there.
0: Right, making those decisions in real time that affect the future, rather than just asking the classic question, "Where did this go wrong?" Now that we're now that it's all in the past.
1: Yeah, and and you know what the trick is that we do. The numbers are the same that everyone has. Each company, no matter what method you're using, you're really just looking at project budgets and then actuals and comparing the two. I think that the method we've figured out is asking your production person, your producer or whoever that that, uh, project manager is, well, if you were to start today and finish the project, how does it look? What decisions are you going to make? What people and resources do you need in order to finish the project well? Um, what's the new new timeline? Have there been any changes to the scope? And if you if you ask that questions on, on a regular basis, and on a routine basis, you'll find that the project is moving and shifting, as we all know, but you're responding to it. And then you will capture a problem sooner than later of, The the project's going over budget, the client's asking for extra work, Um, we're going to miss the deadline, and then you can start giving warning signals sooner. And the thought is, is, isn't to avoid the issues, but know when the issues are sooner than later and then start changing your method or your production uh, requirements in order to make sure you finish and finish well.
0: So I I don't want to step on too many toes here, but I'm just going to say that (laughs) there are definitely a lot of owners... And I used to be one, so I can maybe aim this at myself. Yeah, at yourself. Yeah, at myself. In that, <clears throat> what I would say is probably the most common pattern is a project gets done. There's some sort of a wrap. You know, there's some sort of a report of like, how did this project end? Sometimes it's just a PL, and l right? Maybe it's just the, how's the company doing? And then there's this moment when the owner thinks, all I can do is throw a tantrum and tell everybody no, you're not doing it right. We're not making enough money, and then there's this, well, we're just going to try harder,
1: yeah, <laughs> we're just you
0: know we we just have to try harder, folks, and dang it, you know, and then i there's this like turn over a new leaf, they get out of bed in the morning and they say, "dang it, we're just going to do better from now on." And I don't think that's actually the method we're talking about of making the shift from uh reactive to proactive.
1: Yeah, it's um, moving from the thought of chance into a, into the process of choice. So you don't just happen to get profit by chance um, or ha- it was a good project by chance. You make it a good project or you determine the profitability before you even get started. And then you keep on determining it choice after choice of choice to make sure it is profitable at the end or it is a good project. And it is creative at the end.
0: I, I love w- the way you phrase that because there's kind of this. You know me, I'm an eternal optimist. So whenever somebody says to me, hey, you can choose, I get excited. I go, wow. So I can just choose better instead of choose worse. And of course, there's times when you might say, no, we're going to lose money on this project, but at least it's a choice, right? I mean, far better to choose to lose money on a project than for it to just happen and not realize that you had a choice all along.
1: Oh, I, I just left a conversation, not even like two minutes before you called me. And the conversation, I kid you not, was, hey, we know we're going to lose money on this project that we haven't even started yet. Um, should we <laughs> bill the time that we're going to go over to sales instead of on this project? Oh, And I, and I thought, wait, wait, tell what? me again, like, what, what are, what's, your, what are your, what's your thought here? And they said, well, you know, we're going to, we're doing this as a lost leader, essentially. So we're doing it on behalf of sales. Shouldn't sales cover that cost? And I, and I thought, okay, well, the, the thinking is right, but if you don't track it on the project, how do you know how negative you went? Wow. And then if you're, if it's an investment, right, that's really what you mean by lost leader. How do you know you ever got a return on the investment unless you know how much you spent? So no, put it on the project and then actually manage the loss. So, so make it a $2,000 yeah. loss instead of a $5,000 loss. If you don't just spend eternally and then hope someday in the future, by chance, you're going to get a return on investment. All of these are business decisions you wanna make. These are all choice instead of chance decisions you wanna make.
0: Well, I, I'm reminded of my one of my favorite quotes, hope is not a plan, that <laughs> exactly. is is so true in this case like it just kills me like it, the thinking there is almost that idea of well let's blame sales therefore they have to take the the hit so to speak i'm doing air quotes they're going to bear the cost of this loss but that i mean i mean obviously that strikes a nerve with me cuz i'm thinking of of all these calls that i'm doing with uh owners and it, a lot of them come back to this idea of well It's, it's, it's summer. So things are slower. So we're a victim of this thing called sales are slowing down, or we have to take on projects that aren't profitable. And I think there's a they're missing this transition that you're talking about, of how do you say, no, there's a choice and we can be proactive and not just reactive.
1: Yeah. So th- so it goes back to the idea of method, which I know a lot of the strategy conversations you have with folks that, are, that you were alluding to, the conversation you have are strategy conversations. And then those strategy conversations, what we often try to establish it, uh, up front when we're talking to clients, new clients or old, is the, the belief that you are not a victim to this process and there is no uncertainty Um, unless that's what you want to choose. And I believe uncertainty is what drives a lot of reactionary decisions, let's say, because they don't know what's going to come three months from now. So, because they don't know, or even three weeks from now, and because they don't know that they don't want to make any choices today. Even if it was, um, let's just do an example of like, um, something in marketing, something that would improve the sales outcome.
0: Right. Right.
1: They don't want to make a, a marketing choice because they're afraid of what's three weeks from now. And you and I would say, well, if you don't make a marketing choice, I can guarantee you the result three weeks from now is not going to be better sales because you didn't you haven't done the work ahead of time to, to improve your sales.
0: Yeah, what's what's the quote? Um, I think it's a basketball coach who said, if you if you uh, if you don't every shot you don't take you miss. What's that quote? <laughs> You know, but it's that it's that same idea, and it's interesting, Tim, because I'm just now sitting here thinking about. There's kind of an interesting parallel between, you know, your wheelhouse being in production and operations, uh, compared to I, I spend so much of my energy on the sales and marketing. But isn't it interesting as we sit here and compare how that that transition from being reactive to proactive? There's a very similar method in both of those ingredients. Because, yes, all these strategy sessions that I do, I would say with these, you know, what I'll call up and coming studios, and these are all around the world, not just in the States. Probably the most common thing I hear is, well, most of our business is repeat, meaning referrals, repeat, what have you. And although that's a good thing, right, they're in business, the bad news is, well, you're just reacting to what's coming at you. And don't you want to create your future rather than just react to it? And there is definitely a shift that can be made where you don't have to just deal with, well, summer is usually slow. So therefore, this is a time where we're going to, I don't know, because there's uncertainty, we're going to sort of take a step back and kind of pause. And I'm just asking the question, wait, really? What about being proactive and seizing the moment called we have this time, we have this moment where we can invest and start creating the future rather than reacting to it?
1: Well, I I think you said the key word there because we get it, right? It's not like we're living in some fantasy bubble that um, we believe that you can, you know, plant magic beans and beanstalks grow or anything like that. Right. Um, but but the thought is is that just because money moves out of your checking account into someone else's hand what a lot of people's understanding is is that's an expense and when the time is tough and and revenue is slow i should cut back my expenses short, therefore i shouldn't transfer money from my bank account to some some uh, to some external account the falsehood in that is that, that not every movement of money is an expense some of those movements of money are, are investments. Now, if you, the only investment you make is losing money on projects to keep a client or to win a future project, then your the idea of investment is skewed. And therefore, you don't understand how you could spend money and get a better result from it. But that's the the hesitation and the bad decision be making would be holding on. And therefore, you really become it's like a zero sum mentality that this is all there is and I have to protect it. And therefore I want to spend less or move less money around in order to, um, preserve what little I have when the, the reality of an abundance mentality is you can put money forward and make investments and it's like planting seeds and then you water it and then the sun comes out and then it grows and then you have more to harvest than the, on the other side. And those, that decision making is very different and you have to have a method like a farming method, know that you can plant well and harvest well and collect well um, when you do that work. And I think a lot of our clients, you know, they appreciate, that kind of conversation with the methods that we put forward.
0: Well, I love the phrase that you said back there about zero sum. And I'm even reminded, remember the podcast that we did about investing in a project and I'm doing, I'm doing air quotes (laughs) because that is, that is so often, I guess it's not really a lie. It's not, it's not a, a lie. It's just a misunderstanding of what it actually means to invest in something. And you know, the unfortunate thing is so many uh, studios out there, they would not be a good investment. Like if one of them came to me and said, hey, uh, I'm going to invest in a project. Can I have some money from you to invest in this project? Which is really code for we're going to lose money. Yeah. My answer would be no. That's a terrible investment. But if you if you take this... You, you talk about this a lot and I love this, this shift of mindset where you maybe think of yourself less as the creative, uh, even the owner of the business and start thinking of yourself as an investor. How would an investor treat your company? How would an investor approach this decision? And this is where things like marketing and sales, yes, you're writing a check, but is it an expense? Because if it can... Like what we've seen, if it can double your revenue over the course of a year, and then you put in production systems where you're b- protecting those profits, I guess you, you call them bulletproofing profits. That's a darn good investment.
1: Yeah. So So what more proof do people need in their life to know that they're putting good money to get a good return instead of putting good money after bad? You know, what... What kind of proof are they looking for? I think that some of the proof that people look for is external. So they, um, someone else, some other competitor of theirs seems to be doing well, and they're doing well in, let's say, you know, motion graphics. So even though you're a live action company, they seem to be doing well. So then you just start a motion graphics company, hoping to do well, like, um, like your competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way of of people's comparison of, you know, maybe a good investment. Chase the money uh, is what they're trying to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's, and I would say sometimes it's just a one-to-one, like, like a production company will look at one of their competitors that's a production company and say, well, gosh, their work is so beautiful and they're working for these big brands. Clearly, we should do what they're doing because they're obviously successful, aka making money. And my caveat there would be be careful because yeah. often if you look behind the scenes, they're struggling with the exact same issues that you are. They just don't put it on the front page of their website that says, <laughs> hey, our cash flow sucks and we're we're quote investing in every project you see here, a.k.a. losing money. So, you know, the, all these studios do a really great job of having a beautiful facade out front, clearly, because they want the clients to get excited about, they portray confidence and they seem like they do great work. Let's work with them. But well, yeah, it, it's not always, that's not always the the truth.
1: Well, and then I think about the work of um, what you always talk about is spend less money, but maybe get your positioning statement up, up to par and know that you're really trying to distinguish yourself as different from the competition. So. Uh, what When you talk, it's completely opposite than the common thinking is, hey, there's more money in other disciplines. I'm just going to grow my company and add more directors or a visual effects division or some editors and keep on upping my capabilities. Where what we preach is, no, 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 spend the time, put the effort into separating yourself from the crowd, invest in a good positioning statement, Work hard on some marketing principles and get the word out there about you, then you don't have to um, work as hard for the same money, or you would receive more money for the same amount of work that upping your game is a better investment than changing your game
0: man i yes <laughs> well you're you like you're hitting a nerve here for me because you remember that that meme that I published a year or two ago that sort of made fun of everyone's crappy positioning statements. Right. Oh, yeah. We're a collaborative, creative, integrated studio, storytelling, passionate, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I remember um, some, a lot of people in the industry kind of freaking out because I think they realized, Oh, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And I think you, you nailed it there that, that the idea there, the reason so many companies position themselves poorly is because they see what everybody else is doing and they say, well, obviously it works over there. They called themselves an integrated, creative production, storytelling studio. So I'm gonna gonna pick some of those words and rearrange them and it'll work for me. And clearly the opportunity is something very different. Because I think that like the best examples of positioning, I look at a few of our clients, what they've been able to do with literally three or five words that so capture the essence of their point of view in a way that is unique to them. It stands out. It makes people go, what that's, I don't know what that is. I want to know more. I mean, when you solve that riddle, you are clearly putting yourself in a position. um, There's that word again to, to start to do outreach and get attention get those meetings and sell expertise rather than just services. And this is very much like you got me on a soapbox now because I'm now, (laughs) now I'm I'm ready to like preach this (laughs) proactive, (laughs) proactive, proactive. Um, But it is, I get excited about it because I've seen the results it produces and it's, it's really cool. It's, it's fun.
1: Well, that's like, I almost want the proof to be more evident because I don't know how to, to explain it, but it feels like people are taking a step of faith, even even though for you and I, it doesn't feel like a step of faith at all. Uh, you know, the proof is in, in the results. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And we, it's obvious, it's as obvious as anything else uh, that you, if you get this done and you put it out there, every time you open your mouth, you know what to say, the confidence, the clarity comes through when understanding should you take this project or not or how you would do your uh, budget for a certain project is based off these principles, ideas, and position that you want to take when you're engaging a client. So much clarity comes up and you almost remove uncertainty with clarity because you know where you're going to go. You know what you're about. You know every conversation you're going to have because you can repeat it over and over and over again. Um, I I just love that. I I was telling... um, uh, I was I was on the f- a phone call last week and they were asking I think they were asking about um, maybe JumpStart I can't remember what they were asking about something that you're that you have coming up and they were um, we were talking about the positioning statement and I likened it to my my third born son Seamus who just <laughs> graduated uh, uh, high school so Seamus is um, has an unusual name in the U.S. marketplace and most people have not heard the name Seamus. While he was growing up, let alone understand how it's spelled. So, most of his life, his, his childhood life, was um, starting conversations with um, someone asking his name. And he would say, My name is Seamus. And then he would repeat his name, Seamus. And then they would say, well, How do you spell that? And he says, S <laughs> E A M U S. And then they say, Well, what does that mean? And he says, It's the Irish form of James right so over and over and over again in his life he had this pattern of saying the same thing but what at a, at a young age he was more than happy to start every conversation on a planet cuz he knew the first five things of dialogue in every conversation he was going to have with a stranger, he was very comfortable with it because he knew, he knew the words, right? Yep, and <laughs> a, yep. a lot of ways I was telling this client, like, that's what you're looking for in your position statement. You know, every word you're going to say, cause you, it's yours. It's about you. It's clarity. You don't have to like, uh, to find the list of capabilities of, you know, I'm a live action motion design visual effects company that's happy to do storytelling with our live action team and, you know, integrated <laughs> into the 360 <laughs> experience. Like, you, know, you don't just say that anymore. You just say, no, we're the misfits that, uh, that, you know, knock it out of the ballpark every time. And then they, right, right. they go, well, what the hell are you about? And then you get to start explaining who you are that difference in engagement. It's, it's incredible.
0: They just, they just can't use Misfits because Laundry already owns that. Oh,
1: yeah, right.
0: <laughs> I, you know what? I
1: think Misfits always pops in my head because Laundry's positioning is so strong. It's the first one that it's pops in so my head.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's a great example for, for anyone that's curious. Like, what does that look like? <laughs> I, I, well, I love the story. I love the story because you're absolutely right. When, when you really nail um, good positioning, of course, you have a great message when somebody says, who are you and what are you about? But if it's tied up in your name... It's even more powerful because like in Seamus's example, the person walks away saying, I remember meeting four or five people. But the only one I can remember is that guy named Seamus. That's exactly right. Because he, st- right? Because he stood out and his <laughs> it's the Irish name for James. And see, I'm repeating it all to you right now. But the other thing you said about 360 and storytelling, dude, I couldn't regurgitate to, that to you in a million years because it all just went in one ear and out the other.
1: Or you could, because you could just read it on everybody's website. There's nothing to distinguish.
0: Well, so yeah, sure. <laughs> of course we could do that. Yeah, well, this this is also the opportunity, I think, when you, if, if you have that really killer name, you have that really killer positioning that's just honest. It's not a list that you try and regurgitate. It's not contrived. It's just true. Then you're, when that person says, gosh, I'm really curious. Tell me more. Now, first of all, you've accomplished the whole goal of marketing. You made somebody curious. And then the point in the conversation moves forward where you get to say something like, well, hey, prospective client, I would love to talk to you guys. We would love to work with you. By the way, we're really expensive. We're really busy. But boy, we would love to work with you. And you've just started the conversation around a completely different set of expectations than we provide services, let me get you a bid, we have hours, we have rates, blah, blah, blah. That what I would call old school sale. And believe me, starting a conversation from that place is much more exciting because months down the road, when you're finally shaking hands on a deal, it's not about price. It's not about these, all these commodity services. You're, you're really not even competing like you used to. With all those other companies out there, because they're like, no, this is Seamus. This is the guy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to use your to use your example.
1: Yeah, it's no, there's no confusion of of uh, how the introduction works and who the person is that distinguishes him from the crowd, right?
0: Yes. Um, well, think, think I was going to add this. Think of it this way too: if your positioning statement is that whatever collaborative 360 integrated something studio, if they're triple bidding you and everyone else's positioning statement is the same. There's never a moment when you have the luxury of saying, oh, well, if you're talking to those guys, you should just go work with them because we're so different from those other guys that if you want to work with us, you want to work with us. Like if you don't have a clear and distinct positioning, you, you could never say that because they're going to say, well, we took your about statements and we printed them out on a paper and held them up to the light. And they were exactly the same. Like I can, I can look through the paper and the words all line up exactly the same. Well,
1: or um, uh, if you bring it to the production model or the creative um, uh, position as well, if, so, if a client were to call you and say, can you triple build, bid this project where we have these other you know, possible bids out there from from your competitors, you could say, well, just to be clear, we do things differently. Our method is different than their method. So our budget's going to look different. And you might have a couple of line items that match theirs, you know, editorial and compositing and whatever, but you might have different line items on your budget because because that positioning st- statement carries forward into what we do and how we do it. So mm. if your method is a creative method or your engagement has some strategic plan to it, um, your process has a beginning, middle, and end, your budget form would look different. So your proposal to your client Might be confusing to them, and they have to ask questions of, well, then how do you do it? How do you accomplish Mm. the goal? And creatively, you want to say we always deliver the best creative product. Production, we always deliver on time and on budget. Uh, Operationally, we always, you know, we can we manage ourselves cash flow and purpose. And marketing, we distinguish ourselves from our competitors. Um, All those abilities all come from that one idea that you are unique and you have to do something. Uh, out in the marketplace and let people know what separates you from the others
0: yeah I I, uh, you were making me think of this one example where I was I was coaching one of my jumpstart students they they were talking about how the the client came to them and said hey we want you to bid or pitch on this thing and the the studio owner asked them well, who who else is uh, in the mix here and they said oh studio X and studio Y And my advice was, what you want to say is, huh, that's really interesting. So if you called Studio X and you called Studio Y, I'm not really sure. Help me understand. Why did you call us? So what I just did was (laughs) I just, yeah, I just totally made the client go, wait, what? What do you mean? I thought you were just like X and just like Y. And you want them to think, no, there's something different. There's something Miss here. I need to know more. Like, let's have a conversation. Because I would, if I'm that owner, I want to tell that client, look, clearly X, they're awesome and Y, they're awesome, but we're so completely different from them that I'm a little confused why you called us. Why do you think we might be a great fit for this project? And what they say next, of course, is when they start selling you on why they want you to get the job. So, anyways, this is all part of that. Sales conversation and thing, all that stuff we go through and, and jumpstart.
1: Did we ever answer the first the first question, which is, is there a method? Because I feel like we um, <laughs> we're finding that proactive or a distinguishing yourself, um, being intentional, are all part of what you need to do to be proactive instead of reactive.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, I think we're we're maybe answering the question in the abstract because clearly, yes, there is a method to becoming more to becoming proactive, I would just say that it doesn't mean that it's simple. Like it's not a, you know, I can't just put a Band-Aid on something and say, congratulations, now you're proactive. But there is a method, there is a structure. You can learn, sort of unlearn the bad habits and, and learn new principles and put systems in place that create this proactive stance that you and I are such big fans of.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I, um, I agree with you that sometimes it can be complicated because you're trying to um, get in front of the the crew or the process you are now. Sometimes it's easy. Um, again, like if I were do, to do the the roll up routine with with our clients, I'd say, okay, well, how much have you spent so far? How much is remaining to spend? And the minute I that producer has to sit down and think through from this point into the future of what's necessary, now I'm looking at future problems that aren't yet there and I can capture them. Um, and uh, I think this is, this might be another abstract answer, but what I find to be the thing that distinguishes a proactive process from a reactive process is the one, the desire to want to be proactive. Let's just know that that has to be out there and Uh and the need knowing that you have to be proactive is the first part. Um, but it's really, um, asking yourself the question, uh, where do the problems come from? Where, How do I distinguish myself And marketing is how you would say it. Or in production, you say, where do the problems come from? And then asking the question, is that problem showing up? Financially, you ask, ask the question, when do I run out of money? Right? If I know when I will run out of money, then I can do work between now and then to make sure I don't run out of money. But you have to be able to stretch yourself far enough out with that question to get to the point where you can see reality, the answer, and then you make choices between that between now and then, so you don't ever hit those roadblocks, have those problems, deal with those issues, or not distinguish yourself in a in a sales pitch.
0: Yeah, what I what I'm hearing you say again in the abstract is this: getting out ahead of things. So whether it's in production. Or whether it's in sales, there's this sense of how can I get out ahead of things. So I'm actually looking into the future, so I can influence what's coming at me. I can make decisions before and not just look back afterwards and have regret.
1: Yeah. And do you think people are afraid because um, they are they don't know the answer to ask the questions? Do you think do you find that with people you work with where? obviously they want to know the answer Maybe. but if you ask them they're afraid of the answer so then they just avoid it altogether
0: i my guess is that there's a there's a certain obviously comfort that comes from how we've always done it and the devil you know is better than the devil you don't right so there's this there's this idea of yeah but that's not what we've always done and if we so that scares me and of course what you and i know is all the habits and practices that enable a studio to maybe reach maybe a million dollars a year, those a lot of those habits have to be unlearned and actually let go of because those will actually hold you back. The next level is about a different way of doing so many things in regards to production, in regards to how you do sales. So I think it's just that unfamiliarity of yeah, what you're telling me, Tim, that sounds good, but that's not how it's always worked for us. So it's scary or weird.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, cause I, um, I think fear is a major motivator. And if I were to ask a question, let's say, for example, when will I run out of money? If I, if I look far enough out to see that I might find that it's sooner than I want it to be. And I want wishful thinking to solve the problem. than you know, I don't know, doing a sales trip or, or actually finding a result or cutting back expenses. I would rather just avoid it, uh, burn up my line of credit first and see if I can't get to the other side of it and didn't just call it like bad luck or the summer, you know, the summer down, the summer slowdown. Yeah.
0: Well, you, yeah, you just nailed it there a second ago that, Obviously, to cut expenses is something right in front of you. You do have control over that. And of course, if you need to cut expenses, by all means, do that. We're not advocating anything other than, of course, running a responsible business. But just because it's right in front of you and it's obvious doesn't mean that that's your only choice.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But also, sales solves all problem is a myth um, where Mm -hmm. you say, I know, I just need more sales. Meh. If you're not getting the sales and you're not going to have the the revenue to support people, then there's a different decision to make. Um, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um,
0: that's what it, in effect. I think you, it's like, we're saying that s- sales and getting out ahead of it goes hand in hand with production and getting out ahead of it. Yeah. And the two, the two go hand in hand. Neither one is the, is the solution. I mean, obviously you can't solve, you can't save your way to success, but you also can't just, Say sales is going to solve all my problem, and then go invest in every project and burn all the money. There has to be this—you know—the two have to work hand in hand.
1: Yeah, or use the bank money, use consumer debt to solve something, or there are these <laughs> other easier-sounding methods, but they're they're horribly distracting later on. They actually—they—they yeah. they stunt all growth. Um, I I I know that Jason works very hard um, when he does cash flow routines um, with his clients. And one of my favorite things that he does is it's the it's the repeatable method that he does week after week. And our clients know the conversation they're going to have with Jason, let's say, so that they have become familiar with, hey, here's where we are. Here's where we're going to be. Here's how long it's going to take us to get there. And then the next thing, the next part of the conversation is, so here's here's some opportunities. Here's some options. Here's where we're going to go. Uh, or you know, getting some the temperature of uh, things that the client has heard and their salespeople have heard. So all of it's brought together into one point. And all of this um, hard work that people do um, in production, in sales, in creative, in client management, all get to come together into one conversation. And then it just makes sense and people can go right. forward with that. I think um, what you do with your, your jumpstart group gives a, a similar kind of cohesion of all these um pieces that people know that they need in order to get their, com- their company started or to grow them from one season to the next, they're scattered. And when they come together in a method, in a process, then doubling sales is easy because they've stacked them in the right way, asked the right questions to get the answers, put themselves forward and push themselves um, out there. And I find the what we're, what we're learning and have done in, inside of Think is to embrace this industry in such a way that we get the abstract creative and client and um, industry change or whatever, but we can always bring it back to decision points, strategy, method, and then routine. Um, And those systems and routines are really staying in front of um, our clients in such a way, which is why, again, like the conversation that started this, this podcast is the one where an existing client for multiple years, there was a moment when we realized it, Turned and one simple um, um, comment that Jason made that he's chasing people down becomes an automatic trigger of wait a second, we're then, therefore, we're responding and we're something has shifted and we can gather ourselves back together, ask the right questions. And it was honestly 45 minutes later, we identified it, we know what it is, we went back to the splits, we go back to the roll up, we made some adjustments to the questions we're asking, and we're up and running again.
0: Well, I love the uh, the transparency of of saying, "Hey, even we as these advisors, we're sometimes we have to evolve our method to be more proactive and less reactive." And so, it's an encouragement of, "Hey, what's what uh, what we've learned? We're going to continue to advocate and put into place for our clients and and help the industry at large make this shift from reactive to proactive." Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks for the chat. I I always enjoy these and we're a little over our our half hour goal, but not by much. So good, good job. Not bad. (laughs) All right. Until next week, I guess, or next time. Yeah. Until next time.